This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 60. I'm Jim Garrity. How are you doing today? I hope you're having a great week so far. All right, today is the seventh and final installment of the Core Essentials series on preparing your clients for depositions. So in the next episode, we'll get back to our regular series, beginning with a new case from a judge that discusses in considerable detail the right and the wrong way to make objections in a deposition. I think our research staff counted something like 56 case sites or authorities in that 10-page order. So it's very heavy on legal citation about objections in depositions. It's a great case to have in your research file and to have at your fingertips in depositions. All right, let's get started with today's episode. So we've been going through a variety of points to discuss with your clients about the deposition process. Again, the goal in this series is to help you develop a beginning framework of talking points to go over with clients when you get them ready for their own deposition. Depending on your type of practice, your substantive practice area, not all of these points may apply to you, but most of them should. So let's jump right in. Here's the next topic to cover. I tell clients that you're likely to be asked about potential acts of dishonesty. You may be asked, I'll tell my clients, if anything on your resume, your job application, or other statements about your knowledge, skills, and abilities were or are inaccurate. Remember that any omission, even of modest jobs, technically make them inaccurate. So review your application or resume if a copy is provided to you in the deposition and note any omissions. If you're not provided a copy, insist on being provided one before you give a definitive answer. And if the examining lawyer can't give you or won't give you a copy, unless you have perfect recall, obviously be careful about broad claims that your statements of your credentials are 100% accurate. They just may not be. You may also be asked whether you've engaged in undiscovered misconduct pertinent to the case at hand. If it's a case involving your employment, for example, it could relate to virtually anything that you've ever done. If it's a personal injury case, it may relate to exaggerations about the injury, either to the opposing lawyer, to family or friends, including questions about whether the claim or aspects of the claim are fraudulent. If you're seeking damages in this case, I'll tell my clients, you will be asked about all revenue or income that might mitigate or offset your claims. You may also be asked about whether you've filed your tax returns and whether the information on those returns is completely accurate. Next point, you're likely to be asked about who's been helping you get ready for this lawsuit. Examining lawyers will likely ask if you've been getting help from the opposing side, especially if it's an organization. Sometimes people inside the opposing entity are rooting for you and might be passing you information or documents to aid your case that I don't yet know about. Of course, current employees have access to all kinds of information that we may not. So if you've been getting information, let's talk about it. And that's what I tell my clients. You should plan on being asked about all your contacts with current or former employees or representatives of the other side. And these days, most such contacts leave electronic traces, such as text messages, emails, social media posts, or phone calls. I tell my clients, you've got to be square with me and with the opposing lawyer. If there's been any such contact and if any of it is inappropriate, I need to know now before the deposition starts. In some cases, I'll say the opposing lawyers probably already know who's been providing you information and might just be testing your truthfulness in the deposition. 
Or it may be in this case that the examining lawyer, if they ask you this question, truly doesn't know the real answer. But you've got to be truthful one way or the other, and I need to know about your contacts right now because I need to counsel you, among other things, on whether any of those contacts and what they were about, what was passed to you, might trigger civil or criminal liability for both you and whoever's been providing you information from the inside. In some cases, I'll explain to clients, the release of those internal documents can lead to criminal charges and certainly lawsuits, alleging the theft of trade secrets or company property, and most definitely lead to the termination of the people that passed you those documents. Next point, I'll tell my clients, they'll also likely ask if you've personally removed or accessed data that you shouldn't have. So you'll be asked about the improper removal or access to data from the opposing parties. You might be asked, depending on the situation, if you've even tried to access computer systems or online data, even if you previously had authorization to access it. So if you've accessed data after your separation or even tried to do so, I've got to know about it right now. In many, if not most situations, I'll tell my clients, doing so may be illegal and could expose you to serious civil and criminal penalties. The list of acts constituting a computer crime has been vastly expanded in the last 10 years or so. It includes unauthorized access to a system, whether you currently or ever had proper access, downloading or other copying of data, forwarding information stored on the system, even if you were still employed there, and what some statutes call damage to the quote unquote integrity of the system. Very, very broad. And the statutes are intended to be very broad and intended and designed to rope in as many conceivable acts as possible to discourage unlawful access. So if there are concerns for us, we need to talk about that before your deposition so that we can talk about ways to protect you. And that might include asserting the Fifth Amendment or even abandoning our claims or defenses. All right, next topic. I'll tell my clients that lawyers now frequently ask whether you've recorded or videotaped calls conversations, places, or events. You may be asked about whether you surreptitiously recorded conversations either on the phone or in person. If you did, again, let's talk about it. In some states, recording a call or conversation without the consent of all participants is a serious crime. In other states, only one person to a conversation needs to consent, and that one person can be you. So if you've recorded conversations, let's pin down the details including where you were when you were on the call and where each other participant was also physically located at the time of the recording. Their location, the location of everyone on the call, can make a difference in the assessment of potential civil and criminal liability. You know, these days it seems like everyone is recording everybody at almost all times, and it doesn't have to be some kind of spy device. Most people can simply activate the voice memo function on their cell phone and record you whenever and wherever without your knowledge. You know, for years I had a little sticker above my desk phone in my office that said, you are being recorded. And of course, that probably wasn't the case most of the time, but you never know. You never know who's recording you these days. So that little sticker was just a constant reminder to me just to mind my P's and Q's, not only in terms of the things that I was saying on the telephone, but also in terms of the things that the person on the other end might be saying perhaps that were intended to trigger a particular response from me. So it was just a good reminder to be very cautious about what I was saying. 
I have the same kind of sticker above my monitor on my desktop, which just says emails are forever. Again, just a nice reminder to be very cautious about what I'm saying. I've long thought that one of the most dangerous tools in my office is the send button on my keyboard. Sometimes I think we'd all be better off if the send button was down the hall in a locked closet, which would really give us time to reflect about what we're saying in those emails before we hit send and can never take it back. All right, um, next topic I'll tell my clients. They're gonna ask you about texts, emails, and social media in general. You're going to be asked about whether you've used text messages, emails, or social media to talk about the adversary, relevant witnesses, or other events relating to the case, and if so, with whom you've been communicating. So be prepared not only to talk about that, but to produce those communications unless they're just between you and me. And I also need to know if you've deleted anything because quote unquote deleting something rarely makes the actual communication or the content disappear. And if it does, there'll still be breadcrumbs or electronic traces that the communication existed at one time. Most social media sites archive your profile data and usually have everything you ever posted, sent or received through your profile. Facebook, for example, tracks all of that, but also creates highly detailed activity logs showing all your likes, dislikes, other reactions, post comments, follows, everything. So deleting content often does little more than show an effort by you to destroy or spoil evidence. I tell clients they're gonna ask about your medical history depending on the issues of the case. Depending on the claims and defenses, you might be asked questions about your medical condition, diagnoses, medical history, and the medications you take. That's also something we want to talk about in advance. In some cases, this kind of inquiry is appropriate. In other cases, clearly not. Next point, I tell clients, depending on the case, that they may ask you questions about current or prior substance abuse. In some cases, lawyers may ask if during a relevant time period, you were using alcohol or prescription or illegal drugs. They may also ask if you've ever used illegal drugs or other substances. I'll provide you guidance about how to deal with that if it comes up if your answer about uh, these questions would be yes in any context. I generally do not allow questions about drug or alcohol use or abuse, but again, that's case dependent. The same is true of participation in various recovery or rehabilitation programs. Next point, I tell my clients that some anxiety on the morning of the deposition is actually a pretty good sign. Many clients, as I'm sure you know, arrive on the morning of the deposition experiencing some anxiety. Many do not sleep well the night before. Many don't eat lunch on the day of the depositions. Many skip breakfast because their stomach is in knots. So I try to reassure my clients and I tell them, if you've got some anxiety this morning, that's a good sign because it means you understand that this is a very important day in your case. And I also share with them that what really concerns me is when a client comes in with a much more confident attitude saying, I've got this, I know what I'm gonna do, I know what's gonna happen. That attitude is often a sign that the client doesn't understand how important the deposition is and exactly what they're about to confront. So a little nervousness and anxiety is a very good sign. We're off to a good start. Next point, I tell clients, you've got to take hourly breaks to clear your head. I don't want you to get exhausted. Most deponents are very slow to appreciate how exhausting prolonged examinations can be. Although it involves almost no physical activity, the stakes in a deposition are very high 
and an extreme level of focus is required. I tell them you're going to get tired whether you realize it right now or not. In fact, I have to tell you, I defended a physician client's deposition yesterday, as it happens. Uh, went for about seven hours, but this was a doctor who is a trauma and ER physician who's normally on his feet for 12 hours a day, encountering the most unbelievable injuries. And about two to two and a half hours in, we took a break and he looked at me and he said, I am exhausted. <laughs> and I just thought, that's a perfect example. Even for folks who are used to high levels of stress and concentration, this is an exhausting event. Being cross-examined for hours on end can drain someone's energy very quickly. And of course, that exhaustion in this setting will increase your client's susceptibility to leading questions and suggestions from the opposing examiner and may impair their reasoning and judgment. So I tell clients, you've got to ask for regular breaks. And if you don't, I will. And you've got to take them. You've got to get up, walk around, go out in the parking lot if needed, have snacks as needed, and eat lunch when the time comes. Never skip breaks or meals while your deposition is in progress. All right, two other points and then we'll wrap up. Next point, I tell clients, never reveal our communications. All of your communications with our office are protected by the attorney-client privilege. That means no one, including the opposing lawyer, is entitled to see our written communications or hear about our verbal conversations. Most lawyers won't ask you questions that would require you to reveal that, but I mention that so that you don't inadvertently include conversations with me or with my office in one of your answers. So I never want to hear you give an answer that begins with something like, well, I told my lawyer or, well, my lawyer said. And if you're answering questions that way, you are improperly revealing highly confidential information and I'll put a stop to it, but you need to know in advance to look out for those kinds of questions. Now you might be asked questions about when you first contacted me or hired my firm or similar questions and those things might not be protected by the attorney-client privilege but if you're getting any questions at all that relate to our law firm and your interactions you've got to make sure that you take a pause so that i can evaluate the question and object or instruct you not to answer as appropriate and here's the last point i make sure i end on with all of my clients be truthful about everything you must never say anything in your deposition that is untrue or misleading in any way. Even minor inaccuracies will be used to paint you as dishonest. The way that juries frequently decide who wins and who loses is by deciding who's more believable and who's less believable. And if it appears that you're giving answers that you know are untruthful or misleading in a meaningful way, it will destroy your case and expose you to perjury charges. So the most important thing you can do is be completely honest. You might see TV shows where lawyers encourage clients or wink wink to clients to omit facts or give false answers. That's in Hollywood. It's never acceptable in real life. So I want to be very clear about that. And I tell clients, if I've ever said anything to you that you've taken as some indication that you don't have to be completely truthful, let me assure you right now, that's not what I was telling you. And if I hear you say anything that I know is not completely correct, I'm either going to have you correct it during the course of the deposition, or I'm going to have to withdraw from representing you when the deposition is over. That's not the way I do it, and that's not the way you're going to do it. All right, that's it for this episode, and that's it for the Core Essential series on preparing your clients for depositions. As I said at the top of the podcast, we'll pick up in the next episode, episode 61, on a brand new case about objections in depositions 
and it's a treasure trove of great case citations. Also, before we wrap up, I wanted to remind you that this podcast is now available on audible.com and on Amazon Music, as well as iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. So you can get the podcast completely free on all of the major sites. As always, thank you again for listening. We genuinely appreciate your patronage and your following the podcast. If you ever have any questions, just shoot us an email at depositionpodcast at jimgaritylaw.com and we'll get back to you right away. Have a great day.